0: Good morning. My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. Let's try this. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Can we give Josh and Kim and the rest of the band a hand? Man, that was phenomenal. Oh, wow. That was amazing. Uh, Man, good stuff. That was was awesome. Uh, I do love the Christmas season, though. So many songs. So many movies get me emotional. Uh, I tend to be emotional anyways. That's just kind of who I am. And I I love this season. You know, we have a record player, and I love pulling out, you know, Nat King Cole, Bing, Johnny Mathis on on the old record player. Uh, I love that my kids love the movie White Christmas, and It's a Wonderful Life. And any other fans of Garfield Christmas in the house? That's my favorite. That's right. That's right. Um, My daughter knows that, like, Every word of the whole movie. It's pretty amazing. She can lip sync it. Um, you know, it's a wonderful life. You know, it's a great movie. But the reality is, for so many of us, this season isn't the most wonderful time of the year. That the season's filled with peaks and valleys, sometimes in the same day. And so today, as uh, we're going to be diving into what does it look like to serve God in the mountaintops and in the valleys. And, and I love that the Bible covers a wide range, that even when we feel discouraged, even when we feel depressed, that our God meets us there, amen? Can you believe Christmas is just basically two weeks away? That's crazy, I know. Some of, some of us, it's like, that feels like a long ways away, maybe if you're a kid. The rest of you maybe had a little panic attack, thinking about everything you had to do before Christmas. Anyone else? um that kind of depends too are you a glass half empty or glass half full kind of person Uh, i love this uh if you have that slide logic put that up this is the pessimist coffee mug go ahead and throw that up there yeah like you're drinking the glass is now half empty (laughs) how many can relate with that like you're an optimist when the coffee mug is full and then you're a pessimist when you don't have much coffee left or you know the morning after your wife makes you watch another hallmark christmas movie anybody else Um, You know, I think there's two kinds of people in the world. There's that kind of glass half full and the glass half empty. So with a show of hands, uh, I'm going to need a little audience participation today. Uh, Raise your hand if you're kind of generally a glass half full kind of person when you look at the world. Yeah, okay. Raise them high. And raise your hands if you're kind of more uh, a glass half empty kind of person. Yeah. Yeah, glass half full. When life hands you lemons, you make what? Lemonade. Lemonade. Yeah. Pessimists. When life hands you lemons, you Squirt them in the eye with a lemon, right? Right? That's what, that. The truth is that being human, I think a lot of us have this moment of being optimists and being pessimists. That there are times when we see life on top of the mountains and times when we're in the valleys. And if we're honest, all of us go through seasons where we feel discouraged. Everyone deals with it. You know, here at Mosaic... We like to say, not perfect, we're cool with that. We don't want you to walk in and feel like you have to put some kind of fake smile on your face and pretend like everything's okay. Because we are all broken, imperfect, but being made new through Christ Jesus, amen? We are all equally in need of God's grace, amen? And see, if you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down, is that discouragement can cause real damage discouragement can cause real damage and if we allow ourselves to just be in that place to not allow God to speak to us in those seasons of discouragement that it can cause real damage in our life real damage in our relationships and so we're going to see what does God say about how to act how to respond when we're in those seasons of discouragement uh, before we dive into today's word, would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Elijah, uh, who the story of, of great triumphs and also great brokenness and, and, and vulnerability and discouragement. God, I pray right now that if anyone this morning is feeling discouraged, is feeling depressed, God, that you would meet them where they're at, that they would feel this is a safe place to hear the dangerous message of your love. God, that these would not be my words, they'd be your words. In your name we pray, amen. We've been in this series on Life of Elijah the last couple weeks, and we're wrapping that up today. And we saw first that God called Elijah to confront the wicked King Ahab, the 19th king in a long line of evil kings of Israel. And Elijah said, there'll be no more rain until I say so, because... God is going to judge the people because they've for too long served these false gods. And they were doing wicked, evil things, sacrificing their children to these false gods. So no rain for three years. And and God led Elijah into the wilderness, to the Cherith Valley. We learn that's a place called a cutting down, a place of brokenness. That before God will use us publicly, he will prepare us privately. And he'll break us down. He will mold us. He will shape us so that he can do more through us. But then God led him to a season of provision where to a widow, a single mom, and God used Elijah to bring provision to that widow. And God miraculously provided for them as as the flowers, the oil, didn't run dry. And then the widow's son died, her whole world, her everything. And Elijah said, give me your son. We learned how oftentimes we have to give everything over to God, and then he'll return it back to us better with life, and how God listened to the voice of Elijah. We said that our prayers matter, that God listens to us, and that God raised that little boy back to life, and Elijah was able to give the son back to his mother. And then God brought Elijah to confront Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, these false gods that the Israelites were worshiping, and they kind of go head-to-head, one against 850. And Elijah defeats the prophets as, as the fire of God comes down and consumes the altar. And the Israelites see that God, he is the Lord. And they fall on their knees and they worship God. Well, let's find out what happens after this phenomenal triumph of Elijah. First Kings 19 verse 1. You can follow along in your Bible app or in the words here behind, will be here behind me. Ahab, he's the evil king, told Jezebel, his evil wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the one as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So I'm going to kill you for what you have done. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Wow. You'd think that after this massive victory, Elijah would be flying high. You'd think he'd be living it up, but he's running for his life. And he wants to die. Where was that courage that Elijah had by facing the 850 false prophets? I think what's important to see here is that everyone spends time in the wilderness. Everyone has seasons of discouragement. Everyone spends time in the valley where it's hard to see the sun. If you've gone through a season or even today you woke up just wishing you were dead, you're not alone. That's where Elijah's at right now. He just wishes he could die. See, everyone has moments of weakness, Discouragement, even courageous prophets of God who can pray and fire falls, who can pray and it will rain after three years. Even this mighty prophet gets discouraged and depressed. See, I think one of the problems when it comes to discouragement is that well meaning people often use tons of cliches to somehow make us feel better. Don't you just hate cliches? Like, uh, you know what I'm talking about. See if you can finish these a little audience participation. The more things change, the more things. What does that even mean? I don't know. It's better to have loved and lost than to never have. Yeah, that's definitely someone came up with that who's never been told, it's not you, it's me. Can we just be friends, right? When the the going gets tough, the, what does that mean? I don't know either. When God closes the door, he, yeah, that's the worst, man. Because people try to make us feel better, but it comes across really trite. You know, it's one thing when the world tries to be trite, it's even worse when the church does it. You know, it reminds me of there's these demotivational posters put out by despair.com. So, you ever seen those, like, motivational posters? You know, it's like an eagle soaring with the word, like, endurance underneath it. So, I found a couple of my favorites, and go ahead and put those up. Uh, mistakes. Uh, we moved that. It could be the purpose of your life is simply to show others what not to do. <laughs> go to the next one. <laughs> Motivation. If a pretty poster and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, The bottom's cut off, but it says, pretty sure your job is going to go to a robot someday. (laughs) (laughs) And hard work often pays off after time, but laziness always pays off now, procrastination. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I feel like sometimes, though, like in the church, when we just kind of offer these trite things. And see, I think what a message that the church has often maybe inadvertently spoken, one of the biggest lies is that people will say, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. Don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. And I get it. I, I know where that comes from. First Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God doesn't say he won't give you more than you can handle. He says you won't be tempted Beyond what you can handle. The key word there is temptation. Not that we won't be given more. Temptation is very different than the vast, exhaustive list in life that can happen to us. God doesn't say we won't give us more than we can handle. He says we won't be tempted beyond our ability to handle it. See, God will inevitably allow us to experience more than we can handle. Maybe it's the death of a parent, death of a spouse. Perhaps it's watching a lifelong dream wither away and die, mental illness, depression, disease or even the realization that you've been wasting your life the last 10 years. See, all those are more things than we can handle, and that's the point. Because God wants us to not be self-reliant, but to rely on him. Here's what the Apostle Paul, who wrote a bunch of the New Testament, said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. See, if God didn't give us more than we can handle, then why would we ever think that we need him? I think God gives us more than we can handle to drive us to our knees in prayer, to ask others to pray for us, to realize that our God is so much bigger and so much stronger than we are, and saying, we can't do this on our own. We need you, God. But what so happens so often is is we're in these seasons of discouragement, and then discouragement so easily can lead into depression. And I think if you look at the life of Elijah, you can see kind of how to get depressed in three easy steps if you want to follow what Elijah did. Number one, wear yourself out. You saw Elijah was going, 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 doing this phenomenal ministry, and he just wore himself out. That's kind of the first step. Number two, shut people out. Shut people out. You saw Elijah with his faithful servant and he's running for his life and then he leaves his servant behind and he goes on by himself. One way to lead to depression, wear yourself out, shut people out. And number three, focus on the negative. We see Elijah, he's saying, take my life, God. I am no better than my father's. I just wanna lay down here and die. Wear yourself out, shut people out, focus on the negative. Man, that so often leads us from just discouragement into despair and depression. And See, everyone spends time in the wilderness. But what we see from Elijah, the second thing is that God strengthens us in the wilderness. That God strengthens us. We're going to find God's prescription for our depression. First Kings 19, verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. The second thing we see here is that God strengthens us. In the wilderness, God meets us where we are, even when we feel like we want to die. Even when we feel all alone in the wilderness, God meets us there, and God strengthens us there. See, Elijah, he didn't have any, have any hope. He was hiding out. He wanted to die. But I want us to notice, what did God do? God sent an angel not to preach a sermon to him, as much as I love sermons, not to rebuke him, not to say, Elijah, if you only memorized more Bible verses, you wouldn't be so depressed right now. Elijah, if only you had better quiet time, you wouldn't be so depressed right now. Quit acting like a baby, shape up. There's no rebuke by the angel. There's no preaching a sermon. There's no guilt, there's no shame. The very first thing the angel says is, eat, rest. If you're in the season of of discouragement and despair and depression, maybe the first thing God says to you is just eat some good food to rest. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do is take a nap. To rest. In fact, I think one of the most disobeyed commands in the Bible, in our culture, is to rest. God says to honor this Sabbath, to take one day a week where no work is to be done. And and so many of us, and myself included, we just kind of disregard that. Perhaps the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. I know what you're thinking, because I think it too. It's like, well, but I got this to do, and this to do, and this to do. I believe God wants to say to you, hey, hey, it's okay if all the laundry doesn't get done today. If your kids wear the same clothes tomorrow that are dirty and stinky. It's okay if you don't get the outside lights hung up on your Christmas trees outside. It's okay if you don't get through all your to-do list. Maybe right now what God is speaking to you is you need to take some time, you need to rest, you need to eat some good foods. Here we see God is using an angel to miraculously feed Elijah. And I'm so encouraged at how many different ways God took care of Elijah. We saw when he first ran to the Cherith Valley, that God uses these ravens to bring him food. And then when he leads him to the single mom, that miraculously the the flour and the oil provide food for him. And now an angel. Here's what Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians verse 12. Verse seven, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, I love Paul, he's so funny, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is for someone right now, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I know that was hard for Paul to write. Because I think he's an enneagram three like me. And he liked to do and accomplish. And for him to say, I am content with my weaknesses, with insults, with persecutions, and calamities. Because when I am weak, he is strong. And God is able to be glorified through my weaknesses. So when we are in the desert, when we're depressed, when we feel like we want to die, when we feel like life is more than we can handle, God wants us to turn to him, and he will strengthen us. Today, if you feel in the desert, if you feel weak, if you just feel like you're running on fumes, God wants you to know he will strengthen you. But more than that, God won't just strengthen you. God just won't sustain you. God will meet you in the wilderness Let's continue our story. Elijah wanders through the desert for 40 days and finds himself at Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. This is where God met Moses and gave the Ten Commandments. And perhaps as Elijah wandered, he wanted to go to that place where he knew the story of God meeting Moses. Verse 9, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God is saying, Elijah, what are you doing so far from home? Didn't you trust that I would protect you from the evil queen Jezebel? So Elijah does a little whining and starts making some excuses. He said, I've been very jealous of the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel, all those people, have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go. And so Elijah's like, man, everyone else has forsaken you. I'm the only one left standing before you, God. I think God kind of smiles at him. And he said, go and stand on the mount before the Lord. God's like, I'm going to show up. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave Now you have to remember who is Elijah used to dealing with God of fire who came down and consumed that altar And I'm sure when Elijah heard it he's going to meet with God he's like oh God's going to show up in some big way and the earthquake oh this is it the wind the fire But how does God meet with him as a still small voice as a quiet whisper. See, I think sometimes at our lowest, God speaks the softest. Have you ever noticed that when we're at our lowest? Sometimes he just gives us a word. And that's why rest is so essential. That's why quiet is so essential. That when we can quiet our hearts and we allow the turbulent waters to still, we can hear that quiet whisper of God. It may not be much, it may not be loud, but it's exactly what we need, a gentle whisper, not some booming sign of what God is capable of and what he's done before, but just a whisper. And that's something I take comfort in every Sunday. Because I know, as an imperfect pastor, maybe my words aren't what you need to hear, but I trust that in my words, through and around behind my words is the whisper of God. And my prayer is that today you will hear that whisper. I'm here. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am enough. That still quiet whisper of God. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, "Where? what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous of you. Elijah repeats himself, for the Lord, the God of hosts, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazal to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mehola, you shall anoint to the prophet of, in your place." And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yes, I will leave 7,000, yet I will leave 7,000 Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God tells Elijah, you aren't the only one. There are 7,000 who remained strong, who have not bowed the knee. 7,000 who have been praying God is telling Elijah, don't believe the lies you've been telling yourself. And I believe today that's what God is speaking to you. Don't believe the lies that you have been telling yourself. Number one, God wants us to rest. Number two, to replace the lies we've been telling ourselves with God's truth. I imagine what God wants to speak to so many of you today See, so many of us we, we tell lies to ourselves. My marriage can never be healed, it can never be better. Why? With God, all things are possible. Replace the lie with the truth. Oh, my kids are never gonna come back to God. Why? With faith as small as a mustard seed, God can move mountains. My doctor just gave me a whole plus of news. Our God is a God who heals. Take that lie and replace it with truth. If you just say, I am always depressed, I'm never gonna get out of this valley. Say, no, God wants to replace those lies with his truth. God says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Take those lies, replace them with God's truth. Where are you right now? Some of you, you've been telling yourself lies for years. I'm just depressed, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I'm unlovable. I'm an addict. And God says, no, no. Take those lies that people have been telling you that you've been telling yourself, get rid of them, replace it with God's truth. Don't believe the lies. Believe the Holy Spirit will come in, that he will comfort you, that God is bigger, that God is stronger. Where are you today? Are you in the wilderness? Are you in a season of depression, of despair, of discouragement? I know this season can be tough for so many of you. Maybe, like Elijah, you feel alone. I want you to know that God will meet you where you are, he will strengthen you. You are not alone. We all have times where we feel weak, where there's more than we can handle. But we are not alone. We all spend time in the wilderness. But God will strengthen us in the wilderness. God will meet us in the wilderness. Sometimes the most spiritual thing maybe you need to do is rest. Maybe today you need to replace the lies that you've been telling yourself with God's truth. God's truth. You listen to hear the still, small voice of God. But there's one more thing that God does, and I love this. The third thing that God does for Elijah is that God gives him something to do. And I believe it's the same for us today. To overcome depression, despair, discouragement, God says, eat and rest, replace the lies with truth, and then God gives us a divine assignment. He says, go, anoint this king, mentor this prophet. Basically, God says to Elijah, Go back to doing what prophets do. Go back to your calling. And I believe today someone needs that word. Go back to doing what prophets do. I believe that... Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you today. There's something for you to do that you've given up on, but if you are alive, God has more for your story. There's more for you to do. Get up, get out of the valley, go do what God has called you to do. Maybe you feel afraid, maybe you feel unsure, maybe you feel like you've lost your confidence, but God says, if you are still alive, I have more for you. Go back to doing what prophets do. You say, well, I'm not a prophet. Well, are you a person of prayer? Go back to being someone who prays. If you're someone who serves, go back to serving people, loving people. Do you have the gift of giving? Get back to in the habit of giving. Get back to what God has called you to do. There's some of you I know who've stepped out of what God's called you to do. And God says, I'm with you. I will strengthen you. Get back. Get back to what you know God has called you to do. God says, eat, rest. Replace his lies with truth And God gives something for us to do. Now, we're not gonna jump ahead in Elijah's story, but one thing this week as I was meditating, as I was was praying about the story of Elijah that I'd never thought of that hit me this week was that Elijah's greatest fear, I think, was being killed by Queen Jezebel. And he ran for his life. If you read ahead in the story of Elijah, you can do that this week if you want, we'll see that Elijah's one of two people in the Old Testament who does not die that God in his infinite mercy sends a fiery chariot to take Elijah up to heaven. And I found so much comfort in that That so many times we, our greatest fears are never realized. That God in his mer- mer- infinite mercy spared Elijah from his greatest fear of facing death. And I believe some of you have fear and anxiety and worry and God wants you to know, let that go you may not have to face that greatest fear of yours. But many of us will. And if we have to face the worst, our greatest fears, we don't do it alone. God is with us. He meets us where we are. He strengthens us. God will lift us above it. In just a minute, we're gonna watch a little faith story of Daniel and Tanya Pfeiffer from our congregation who went through a scary time and their aftermath and how God met them there. But before we do that, as we are in the season of Christmas, as I thought about how God met with Elijah, he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the wind, he came as a still small voice. And I thought how when God sent his son, he didn't show up as some mighty king in a palace. He didn't show up with pomp and circumstance. That he came as a whisper, as a little baby, in the most humble of all circumstances. And I believe that this morning God wants to meet you as a little whisper. And if you have not put your trust in Jesus, who came like a quiet whisper, in humble circumstances, who lived like us, who laid down the privileges of heaven to identify with us, that God wants to meet with you. The Bible says that if we put our hope and trust in Jesus, who came humbly the first time and is coming back again as a mighty king. That we can be welcomed into God's family. That we can trade our guilt, our shame, we can trade the lies we've been telling us for the grace and love and forgiveness and acceptance that comes in God's family. And that comes through putting our trust in Jesus. Jesus who came humbly but then died on the cross for our sins so that we can make that exchange our worries, our filth, our sin, our mistakes for his righteousness, his resume. I want to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. If God's whisper has been speaking this morning to you around my imperfect words, and you feel that nudge, and and you'd like to put your hope and your trust in Jesus alone, Make him the leader of your life. To be adopted into God's family. I want to invite you to respond by just raising your hand on the count of three. I believe right now God is speaking to you that he is drawing you into his family. That his Holy Spirit is speaking in a still, small voice. And you're wrestling and you don't know if you can let go, if you can respond. But I believe God is inviting you right now to respond. On the count of three, just I want you to raise your hand to acknowledge that you are going to let go. You're gonna put your trust in Jesus. One, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, raise your hand. If you'd like to make Jesus the leader of your life for the first time, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there anyone else? Let's pray. Thank you. God, I thank you for those this morning who are listening to your still small voice, who are ready to bow the knee to you, to exchange their guilt, their shame, their sin, their brokenness for your perfection, your righteousness, adoption into your family. God, I thank you that you welcome us with open arms. God, that you don't just love us, that you so love us. God, that you invite us in, the broken, the imperfect, the beggars, the seekers. God, I thank you for that. That all of us, sinners, saints, in equal need of your love and your grace. God, I thank you for welcoming him into your family. God, I pray right now as we wrap up our service with this faith story and, and a closing song, God, that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us, reveal to us if we need to rest in you, if we need to replace the lies we've been telling ourselves with your truth, or God, if we need to step up and get back to what you've called us to do, God, that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to act on that. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we just give a hand to those who uh, made that commitment to follow Jesus? Thank you. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Uh, Go ahead and check this out. Uh, Last year on New Year's Day, Dan and Tanya Pfeiffer had a very scary experience where they went into their garage and Dan was ready to take the kids out sledding. And they had carbon monoxide poisoning in their garage that they were unaware of. Uh, because of some snow packed in um, uh, the vent. And uh, it was a very scary season, Um, but I wanted to to share their story with you uh, about kind of what that was like and and how God got them through that. So go ahead and check out this video. I I can introduce this.
1: Sure. All right. We're Dan and Tanya Pfeiffer, and uh, we've been members at Mosaic for almost three years now.
2: We have three kids. Allery is five, Ben is three and a half, and then Colton is
1: 16 months. So last year on New Year's Day, it was very cold out, and the night before we had a detached garage, and I started up the heater. And so New Year's Day came, and the kids and I were going to go sledding, Allery and Ben. And so Tanya got them bundled up in their snow gear, and we headed out to the garage and uh, everything was warm in the garage and we started, I started buckling them into the truck and Ben started to have what I thought was a seizure. So I carried him into the house and immediately told Tanya, Tanya called 911 and Ben wasn't breathing. And then I went out to get Allery so that uh, the sirens wouldn't scare her. And when I got out there, I found her in her car seat as well, unresponsive. It wasn't just like a natural, let's go get Allery out of the garage. Like Ben was
2: lifeless on our floor and something just triggered to us that like we had to get Allery and we had to check on her as well. Um, at that kind of moment in time, we didn't know what that was. Um, and kind of same thing through the 911 one call, like having that strength to be able to do so. A lot of people say like, oh, you were a nurse or you are a nurse, you were so calm under pressure, but like. Looking back on that, that wasn't us. We didn't we didn't have anything to do with that. That was all the strength of God, um, and that's taken us a little while to fully come to realization of that. But um, definitely, and He was present in the whole entire situation that whole entire day. When we were halfway to the hospital, is when I sent out a message. Um, to our small group just saying the kids are in trouble, we need prayers, and that was basically all I could do. I found out afterwards that Dan's first call was to Paul Nystrom, um, who we had also been in small group with, um, and kind of helped Dan in the situation back at home as well, which in turn, Paul was able to call HCMC and give them full report of what had happened even before the kids and I had arrived in the ambulance. I had a lot of anxiety when the kids were gone with Dan and it was just Colton and I. A lot of that was like, this is how our life very well could have been. This could have been our story, just Colton and I, um, and Dan and Allie and Ben not here with us. And so that took me a really a long time to work through um, and it was kind of when I was able to change my mindset from all these what-ifs that could have happened to what God did for us and what he did to provide for us, that I was able to really connect the dots of where he's led us to. He led us to Mosaic when we didn't have a church and we really weren't even interested in finding a church. Um, he led us to child, parent and child dedication, which for us we didn't even know was a thing until we were at Mosaic or different small groups that we've been a part of. Um, and then baptism as well and just like really saying we are followers of Christ and and this is where we're meant to be Um, and then just seeing his hand work so well in the whole whole event that we experienced on New Year's Day and um, I know Pastor Eric had made comments last week about how God works best when the odds are stacked against them, and everything about that day, the odds were stacked against us, they were stacked against God, but somehow every individual that was involved, um, whether it was from our church or from the emergency response team, um, everything worked in favor um, and just came together so nicely, and it's really helped us. Um, be able to look back on it in such a positive way versus such a negative way that could continue to weigh us down. But don't be afraid to cry out to God. Like there are gonna be moments that you are gonna feel so weighted down and just that like heavy pressure on your chest and being like, I I can't do this. I don't I don't know how to get through this, I don't know what to do. And for me, I clearly remember the night that it felt so heavy for me. I was even sitting in church on Sundays, I was having like many panic attacks um, because the weight of it was so heavy and I remember just crying out and being like God I cannot do this anymore I ask you to take this I need you to take this or I need you to show me how to do this um, and I feel like from there I was able to continue to move forward. I, I think so that helped us so much was not being afraid to reach out to our support systems our family our friends our small groups people in the church that we've become so close with, um, and knowing that they're there whenever. Um, it's not just, oh, we're there for a week or we're there for a couple hours after. We're in this with you, and whether it's six months from now or a year from now and you need to talk about it, like it's okay to bring it back up, and it's okay to kind of relieve that moment, but then know that how
1: far you've come past it as well. Check your carbon monoxide. <laughs> you stepped on my touchdown
0: cup. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dan and Tanya, for sharing your story. You know, this week, honestly, I, I really struggled because, on one hand, I didn't want to say, "Hey, if you're depressed, here's three easy steps on how to get better," but I also believe that God's word speaks to us today. And so I don't want to be confused that you know I think there's this, this simple just three-step plan and you're gonna everything's gonna be great, but I do believe that God's truth speaks to us, and that today, as we wait on Him, in this closing song, I believe that maybe God is speaking to you. You need to just rest. You need to eat. You need to just take care of yourself, and 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 know that, that it's okay to just be, not do. Maybe today you need to replace the lies you've been telling yourself that people have been telling you for years with his truth or maybe today god is speaking to you and say go back to doing what prophets do go back to doing what you once did the band's going to lead us in this final song and this is our gift to you to have some time in the business of december to just linger to listen to pray There's nothing fancy we've said about this front space. But if you would like to come forward to meet with God at the altar, Chris and I will just be here in the front row. You can come and we'll pray for you. Oh, this is a time where you can just meet with God in your chair, up here, wherever it is. As we sing this song, I pray that you will step out with courage. You'll step into deeper things with God. Let's pray and then the band's gonna lead us in this song. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Thank you for Elijah. And I thank you that we don't have just the moments where we're on the mountaintop and everything is awesome, but also after that, when when we're discouraged and filled with despair. And God, that you meet us in the mountain and you meet us in the valley and everything in between. So God, I pray right now, those of us who are on the mountains that we would celebrate, that we would rejoice. Those of us that are in the valleys, that are feeling discouraged, God, that you'd meet us here. You would speak to us. God, you would help us to quiet our hearts, to listen. God, that you would use this song to bring freedom and liberation and truth as your Holy Spirit is able to work in and through us. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray, amen. Why don't you stand? And if you'd like to then sit after the song starts, go ahead, but we'll sing the song together.